Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. It's been 50 years since the Ohio National Guard fired 60 rounds on unarmed college students who were protesting the war in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. Four died that day at Kent State University, and nine more were injured. It was a watershed moment in the anti-war movement. Immediately afterward, students led a strike that forced colleges and universities across the country to close down. And it was a sudden and unnecessary tragedy that helped shape the rest of American history. What does Kent State mean for America today? What lessons have we learned, and what have we failed to grasp as a nation 50 years later? That's where we continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And we want to hear from you. Do you remember the Kent State shootings? We'd love to hear what you remember about that moment, what your reaction was, and what you remember more generally about that time in American history. What do you think we should take away from the anti-war movement of the 1960s and early 1970s? Also give us a call and tell us your thoughts about the power of student protests and what young people can achieve in terms of changing our society and our politics. Do you see echoes of that anywhere in America today? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk more about today's 50th anniversary of Kent State is Steve Early. He's an author, attorney, and activist, also author of a recent piece titled, 50 Years Ago This Spring, Millions of Students Struck to End the War in Vietnam. Steve Early, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on the show, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, for anyone listening who's not so familiar with what happened 50 years ago today at Kent State, to briefly tell us what happened and talk about the setting, the context for this confrontation between National Guard troops and unarmed college students? Well, the confrontation that uh, took place on campus uh, 50 years ago today uh, at Kent State and and led to four student deaths and nine students being wounded really had been uh, brewing for a number of years. Uh, Students had been protesting the war in Vietnam in increasing numbers uh, for five years. Uh, They had rallied on campus, they had picketed, they had protested. Uh, Many of them had joined big rallies in major cities, particularly in Washington, D.C. in 1965, 67. The previous fall, 1969, students from around the country, about 300,000 of them gathered in Washington, D.C. to protest uh, the administration of Richard Nixon, which was... um, continuing a war in Southeast Asia that uh, he had promised to bring to an end and settle when he ran for president in, in, in 1968. Uh, what was uh, extraordinary about the moment was how widespread anti-war activity uh, suddenly became. Um, by the end of May of uh, 1970, uh, close to four million young people had been involved in protests. Uh, classes were disrupted and shut down. 
at hundreds of high schools and colleges and universities. <clears throat> Dozens of them never reopened that spring. Uh, several thousand students were arrested uh, on about 30 campuses. Buildings used for uh, officer training uh, were bombed or set on fire. And the National Guard was called out not just at Kent State, rather disastrously, but at 20 other campuses in 16 states. So it was an unprecedented upsurge of militant and very often peaceful protest activity. Mm. And did we ever learn what the trigger for these National Guard troops was to open fire on these college students? I mean, as you point out, there were lots of confrontations taking place at that point between protesters and police, but none had reached quite this this level. What was it about that day, about that protest, about that campus that led us to this massacre? Well, there's a wonderful book about this that I highly recommend by uh, Thomas Grace, who's a history professor. It's called Kent State, Death and Descent in the Long Sixties. And he was actually one of the students, a history major, shot that day and wounded. Um, so he's writing about it from a very personal perspective. But, you know, it was a tragic confrontation. Uh, after the uh, ROTC building, Reserve Officer Training Corps building, was burned at Kent State uh, over the weekend uh, uh, 50 years ago, the governor of Ohio called out 1,000 National Guardsmen. And uh, they were not well trained for riot duty. Uh, they had uh, just spent many hours policing a Teamster Wildcat strike. Uh, they hadn't slept. They were trigger-happy even before they got to the uh, Kent State campus. Uh, they were deployed on the campus with heavy weapons, with uh, tear gas, with uh, uh, rifles, um, shotguns. They hadn't been given proper training. And, you know, they were confronted, interestingly enough, by uh, young people very much like themselves, from Ohio, from working-class backgrounds, from union families. Kent State was not an elite private institution. Um, and, uh, you know, both the National Guardsmen and many of the male students were seeking to avoid service in, in Vietnam. Um, the students had draft deferments at that point, and uh, many people enlisted in the National Guard and became what were called weekend warriors to avoid being sent to Vietnam, and they ended up in this tragic confrontation with each other. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone's call, and tell us what your memories are of this day 50 years ago uh, when National Guard troops opened fire on unarmed college students on uh, on uh, on Kent State's campus in Ohio. Give us a sense of what you think we've learned since then. Give us a sense of what you learned about perhaps the power of student protest uh, when that happened and whether you see echoes of that here in uh, our society today. As always, again, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. No surprise, we've got a lot of folks who want to talk about this issue. Let's start with Cynthia in Detroit. Cynthia, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you? I am I'm good. Um, Stephen, when... This was right after the band strike at U of M. Yes, it was. Where I was. And I remember those of us who were involved realizing that it could have been us. Um, but for the way in which the, both the university managed the, the confrontation mm -hmm. and the way in which the students, we managed it, 
it would have, it could have been us. Uh, the sheriff of, of Washtenaw County, Doug Harvey, was bad enough, but Robin Fleming knew that he couldn't and would not ask for the National Guard, mm. even after there was some disruption of property. Um, and I also remember that it led to a much greater level of involvement of the black students in student mope because they'd been supportive of us during the yeah, yeah. And uh, But the Vietnam War was not the principal issue that most black students were thinking about, although we didn't want to go to Vietnam either. And we very much uh, believed, as Muhammad Ali said, that no Vietnamese had ever done anything to us. And, but, and I, I wonder, Cynthia, I think that's a really interesting uh, context to put this in. And, and for, for listeners who don't know all of the details of what happened at, at the University of Michigan in 1970, you had a group of black students who uh, protested and, and were demanding improved conditions for minority students at the university, more uh, students uh, of color, you know, being admitted, uh, uh, asking the administration to be more aggressive in meeting uh, discrimination when it when it showed up on on campus. But but you say that that this could have been you, but for some sort of key circumstances. I, I wonder if you can talk about why you think those those circumstances were different at at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor at that at that point uh, that 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 prevented this from being a violent confrontation in the way that that it was at Kent State. Why was it different, Cynthia? I think it was different for uh, a number of reasons. Uh, some having to do with what the other gentleman was speaking of. It was a question of class. University of Michigan was and is a, a public institution, but it is very much an elite institution. Mm. So you did not have um, the same kind of flavor um, on the campus or around the campus. I mean, if you uh, just up the road at Eastern, uh, Jim Brickley at that point was their president, and they did call in the National Guard. Mm. Um, Robin Fleming was a labor negotiator; he was the president. Right. Um, that was that was different, um, and the. The nature of the BAM strike, it was an echo from a strike that had occurred two years earlier. Um, but this time, the echo was louder, and it went from undergrads through the black faculty. Hmm. And that gave those of us who were younger and more impetuous um, <laughs> some guidance and assistance and gave us the advantage of a level of organization that not a lot of people had. Wow. Yeah, that, that, those are really great. Uh, those are really great illustrative, illustrative points, uh, Cynthia. And and just for reference, uh, we should also mention that the BAM strike in in 1970 closed the university down for 18 days. I mean, if you can imagine that kind of uh, that kind of disruption. So this wasn't just some small protest. This was a large movement uh, that took over the campus, and it didn't elicit that violent reaction from uh, the guard that w happened in Kent State. Uh, Steve, earlier, I wonder what, what your reaction is to that kind of comparison. In other words, there were lots of things going on in college campuses uh, all over the country at that point, uh, protests not just about the Vietnam War, but 
uh, as Cynthia points out, about uh, civil rights and, and uh, black access to college campuses in places like uh, the University of Michigan. Did we see different re re responses based on uh, class and race and, and these other kinds of uh, divisive issues, uh, depending on you know, what was going on on a particular campus? Uh, very definitely. And in fact, one of the initial calls for uh, a boycott of classes uh, on Friday, May 1st, uh, 1970, was uh, from students at Yale. And they were, prior to the killings the following Monday, focused on solidarity with and support for members of the Black Panther Party, who were then on trial in New Haven and viewed by many students as the victims of a Nixon administration crackdown on, on black activists uh, all around the country. Um, they had already planned to leave classes and rally around the Naven courthouse, support the Black Panthers. Um, and that activity, once Nixon announced the invasion of Cambodia, mushroomed into a broader uh, call for an anti-war student strike and that, of course, reached critical mass on, on Monday, uh, May 1st, today, 50 years ago, uh, when the students were shot and wounded at, at Kent State. And as Cynthia said, it really brought the war home uh, to seeing fellow students shot. This was before the era, uh, sadly, of, of Columbine and uh, uh, Newtown and, and Parkland. Uh, public school shootings weren't that common. Mm. Um, Certainly there had been a lot of political violence in the 60s, and civil rights protesters had been beaten and killed, and there had been assassinations and police violence and urban rioting in Detroit and other cities, and riots in 1968 in response to Martin Luther King's killing. But shooting students on campus was, was uh, kind of a new thing, and it really hit home to many, many other similarly situated young people. Uh, again, Cynthia, thanks very much for the call. and for adding that perspective to our conversation. Let's go to Mark in Redford. Mark, welcome to the program. Stephen, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Good. Listen, I was in high school at the time of the uh, Kent State uh, Massacre, and uh, President Nixon was president at that time, and he was regarded as a, a law and order president. Um, I'm not an advocate of what President Nixon did at that time. However, um, what they said that from that time forward about Kent State was that uh, we need to teach from that time forward about what civil disobedience means and activism being important uh, to a generation that didn't understand that hmm. you know, in the past. I studied history in college as well, and this just um, stings of a thing in the past that a lot of people don't know about um, currently. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you, Mark, that, that it's something that, that has kind of been lost, uh, as things do, you know, get lost over time, I guess. And, and when other significant things happen, uh, they kind of overtake our, our, our memories. Uh, Steve Early, I wonder what you think is the, the sort of lingering lesson from Kent State and the, the movement that, a, inspired it, but then, of course, drew strength from it going into the early 70s and ultimately, many believe, stopped the war. 
Well, it definitely uh, limited the options of the the Nixon administration. It it made it harder for uh, U.S. government at the time to prosecute the war with large numbers of U.S. ground troops. Uh, The Nixon administration shifted to a strategy called Vietnamization, turning over more of the fighting to Vietnamese troops uh, that it was backing in a civil war that the U.S. should never have been involved in. And uh, the U.S. relied more heavily on bombing. And the destruction, the death, continued for another five years until 1975 when um, the U.S. was forced to withdraw entirely. And the insurgent forces that uh, we had been battling um, uh, won the war and unified the country. Mm. I think the takeaway today is, you know, we're still spending $750 billion a year on the military more than any other country in the world. We have other social and economic needs, uh, which everybody's experiencing at the moment thanks to the pandemic, uh, the threats of of problems like climate change. We really need today, even more than 50 years ago, a reordering of national priorities so that billions of dollars are not spent on war and destruction and foreign interventions and are made available here uh, to provide health care for everybody, uh, to deal with the challenges of climate change. Um, and to get millions of people, you know, back to work uh, and on the road to economic recovery because uh, we're in a recession, depression, on a scale uh, that we haven't seen since the 1930s thanks to this uh, public health disaster. Okay. Steve Early, author, attorney, and activist, thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about Kent State with Detroit author and activist Frank Joyce. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Jane in Huntington Woods, Daniel in Detroit, we will get to you next as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. One zero one nine WDET, Detroit's NPR station, celebrating seventy years of radio in Detroit. You're listening to Detroit today on one zero one nine WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. We're talking about today being the fiftieth anniversary of the massacre of students on Kent State's campus in Ohio by National Guard troops who opened fire on them during a Vietnam War protest. We're talking about the protest itself, what that protest inspired at the time in terms of anti-war protests around the country, and what it achieved. Lots of people believe that it was a turning point at which uh, the protests against the war were essentially able to force the Nixon administration to end that war. We also want to hear from you. If you remember this day in 1970, tell us where you were, how you found out about this, and tell us what you thought of that kind of activism at that time. Uh, what do you think we should take away from the anti-war movement of the 1960s and the early 1970s? And give us a call and give us your thoughts about the power of student protests and what young people can do, what they can achieve in terms of changing our society and our politics. 
Joining us now to talk more about this day 50 years ago is Frank Joyce. He's a Detroit author and activist, and he co-edited The People Make the Peace, Lessons from the Vietnam Anti-War Movement. He also has a piece today in Counterpunch titled Four Dead in Ohio. Frank, welcome back to Detroit Today. Are you there, Frank? Hi, Stephen. Great to be here. Oh, there you are. (laughs) That's okay. Here I am. Great to hear from you. Um, you have a really interesting personal story about what you were doing. Yeah, I remember where I was that day. Yeah, you and I have talked before about your Vietnam experience, but share with our listeners where you were when this massacre happened at Kent State. Uh, as it happened, I was in a very small village just south of Hanoi in northern Vietnam. And I will always remember when we were awakened by our Vietnamese hosts. There were four of us as part of a peace delegation visiting uh, Vietnam at that time. And they were the ones who told us what had happened at Kent State. Mm. And one of the things I remember was how concerned uh, and disturbed they were by this development. And it brought home to me as nothing else could, something that we had understood all along. The Vietnamese had always said that they were not in opposition to the people of the United States. Mm. Their problem was with the government Mm -hmm. that was dropping Agent Orange and napalm and tons and tons of bombs on them. And that was so evident in that moment that I've never forgotten it. Mm. Uh, And you say you came back to Detroit after that mission and found... Things had changed, especially for people who were on the fence about about the war. Tell us what that change was that you noticed. Well, of course, I, as you know, Stephen, and, and some listeners, I came to the anti-war movement really out of the civil rights movement. And one of the things that I understood, and I think the Vietnamese understood it at the time as well, um, is has two components. One is it's very unusual for there to have been an anti-war movement in the United States at all. From 1607 or whatever you want to start, we're a warrior nation. We're a very violent country, and we always have been. Hmm. And so the anti-war movement was a real aberration from U.S. history, both before and since Vietnam. But the idea that white students on a predominantly white campus would be shot and killed uh, was in and of itself uh, also an aberration. Mm. And the Vietnamese understood it would be a turning point. And when I got back to Detroit, um, it was astounding to me how many people who had been kind of fence-sitters about the war uh, previously had said, okay, that's enough. Mm. Uh, this is not a good thing. Yeah, well, and and I think historians point uh, very very often to that that happening and it being this turning point where uh, the, the the anti-war movement galvanizes in a way that it didn't before and becomes more effective. Uh, you you were in well, the middle yeah, of just that. Just one added thing on that, Stephen. Uh-huh. Um, this coming Saturday at three. I'll be part of a, of a webinar. Uh, you can find out about it at VietnamPeace, all one word, dot org. We'll look at Kent State, Jackson State, hmm. the campus strikes, and in August of 1970, there were people killed in a huge Chicano moratorium demonstration in Los Angeles. So this, 
notion of Nixon announcing the bombing of Cambodia unleashed a whole chain of events that made 1970 in particular uh, a very significant year in U.S. history. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. We get a lot of folks who want to talk about this anniversary. Let's go to Daniel in Detroit. Daniel. Hello. Hi. First of all, I would like to say uh, say hello to Frank Joyce, who's one of my favorite people in the uh, <laughs> and one of the pillars of the movement, <laughs> along with the late Enkinge Zola. Mm, right. And, Thank and you. also, Thank you, Daniel. Uh, I... The, the previous the previous speakers, the Cynthia was talking about being in the red strike at or the at U of M. Um, my uh, uncle was a professor there at that time. Hmm. I I at the time was graduating, started you know going to be graduated from high school from Midland High School at Midland, Michigan, and uh, I got an eyewitness account from Kent State because one of our former choir members had was was a witness. And told us all about it he, when the when the campus closed down, and also I think Cynthia mentioned something about what the goings on in Washtenaw County. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eastern Michigan University really got hit by some really nasty stuff from Doug Harvey, and uh, when I got to Eastern a year or so later, um, they were te- you know they were uh, I got a lot of accounts about that, mm-hmm. but. I was I was already started in the movement and I was already very involved in civil rights stuff for 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 what I could be and uh, this you know this is the the, the two shootings of May 1970 of Canton Jackson State basically right. oh my gosh I'm in this and I'd better stay in this <laughs> wow wow Daniel no I really appreciate your calling and 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 sharing that memory with us and that really confirms some of the things that uh, our guests have been talking about in, in a way mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, that these events kind of shaped uh, the movement and and people's thinking uh, at the time Daniel thanks very much for the call let's go to Ralph in Midtown Ralph welcome to Detroit today good morning hi Go ahead, Ralph. Good morning. Yeah, I can hear yes, you. Sir. Go ahead. I was, uh, I was, um, I was at the first day of the uh, campus uh, closing on uh, the Wayne State campus. Uh, it was closed for three days because of the, uh, the incident at Wayne State, uh, and uh, I heard about it on the news. And uh, I, I took off from work. I was working down downtown in the Buell Building. Mm. And uh, I took off and um, was there almost all day long. And the campus had been closed down entirely. So uh, I uh, attended a lot of the uh, protest rallies on the campus. Um, and I had yet to become a, a student there at Wayne State. But um, it was uh, amazing how, how uh, the uh, uh, students had rallied and uh, closed closed the entire campus down. Of course, uh, President Keist, uh, who was the president of Wayne State, uh, immediately closed the campus for three days. Mm. Mm. And uh, one, of, one of the things uh, I remember about it as well was uh, the creation of uh, the Fifth Estate newspaper, right. which right. Uh, coordinated it with the, uh, uh, the South End newspaper, which yeah. was uh, the campus the newspaper student at the newspaper. time. Yeah. So the South End newspaper and the Fifth Estate uh, uh, would print uh, information about 
the Vietnam War, which the, re, the news and the free press would not print. Mm. So that was one of the interesting things that came out of that. Yeah. Uh, Ralph, I, I really appreciate the call uh, and, and your thoughts. <clears throat> Frank Joyce, we've got about a minute left. I wonder if you can... Uh, quickly tell us what you think we see today that that uh, reminds us of this time in in American history, or tells us about the lessons we learned from then uh, in terms of uh, protest sure, and thanks, activism. I think the number one lesson is, despite being an aberration, uh, the mass opposition. Uh, to the U.S. war on Vietnam, if it happened once, it can happen again. Mm. And despite, you know, we're suffocated with uh, militarism and pro-war propaganda all the time. The Pentagon's the fourth branch of the U.S. government. But all of that was true then as well. And there is, I'm convinced, and so were the Vietnamese, by the way, at the time, that among the American people there is a hunger for peace. And what we're waiting is for the alarm clock to go off. And I think whether it's the coronavirus or any number of things that are happening, I I think we see that starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And as with the anti-war movement of the 1960s, it started very small. These things don't emerge full-blown overnight. But from, say, the first teach-in at U of M in March of 1965 to Kent State, was this gradual process of awakening, and uh, it happened once, it can happen again. Yeah. Okay, Frank Joyce, Detroit author and activist, always love to have you here on the program. Thanks Thanks for being here. It's always great. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation.